Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Katie, one second before you leave, Amy Schumer used your phone and, and used it to text your husband to say, I want to try anal tonight. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Looking for a Netflix recommendation that's worth two hours of your time? Or a forgotten album that's worth picking up on iTunes? OverdueReview.com is your destination for unbiased, unpretentious, thoughtful opinions on movies, TV, and music from every era. OverdueReview.com. Better late. Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast, where we wade through all the crap out in the media landscape that is streaming for you right now across all the subscriptions that you may have, and we tell you what's worth adding to the queue, what's worth watching, what's worth listening to, and what's better left off the list, just just better left forgotten about altogether. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. In a little bit, we'll be hearing from our music editor, Andy Sedlak, as well. And uh, I just want to thank you for taking a few minutes out of your busy, distracted day to uh, spend some time with us here at the Stream Police. I urge you to go back and do our back catalog, listen to the, the uh, old episodes. Really, this show is evergreen. Uh, we talk about, uh, and the website as well, because we talk about and write about movies, TV shows, and music from all eras uh, to try to keep things uh, uh, basically the show will still be fresh if you listen to it a year from now, for the most part. I mean, we, we get topical a few times, but uh, I definitely appreciate you tuning in. I, I got to start the show out today, um, as usual, by lighting my stogie of the week. This week, I'm going with one of uh, a, a brand that's quickly becoming one of my fast favorites, and no, I'm not getting any money from them. That would be New World by A.J. Fernandez. It's a nice stick here. I'm going to go ahead and light this thing up here. All right, so it's a smooth smoke, got no added flavors in it, like no vanilla, no fruity, nutty flavors or anything like that, but it has no bad aftertaste. It's got a good roll, and the wrapping labels look really nice. It tastes like a real cigar, but it isn't enough to knock you on your ass if you don't smoke often, which is a complaint about some people who just get into smoking cigars. So New World by A.J. Fernandez. I'm giving it... A major thumbs up here on the stream police. All right. Uh, I've been asked to uh, give a scene set by some of our listeners as far as what is, where am I recording this show? 
I record this in my closet, uh, one of the closets in my house, and uh, it's the smallest closet in the house. I use the I use the smallest closet because I thought it would have the best opportunity for 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 good soundproofing. And basically, what I've got on the walls around me, like I can't even I can't spread my elbows out, like I can't lift my elbows out at each side of me because I don't have enough room. That's how cramped it is in here. I have a, a, a book light, like a night book light hanging above my head. That's the only light I've got in here aside from my computer screen. Um, I have jackets hanging up on the walls to absorb sound. I've got no kidding, a members only jacket hanging behind me. Um, I've got like a, a fur lined on the inside, faux fur, uh, PETA friends, on the inside uh, jacket right next to me couple stray pieces of soundproofing that I had around and a blanket on the other side of me. So, and then I've got my microphone set up and uh, my stogie, of course, and some water. So it, that, that is where I'm recording this show for you right now, in case you were wondering. And one of the people who asked about that is a fan that I got to mention here right out of the gate, Mandy in Cincinnati, one of our most dedicated listeners. And without question, I'm going to go ahead and call her our unofficial marketing manager because I know for a fact that she's told at least a dozen people about the Stream Police podcast and continues to tell people that it's one of the best shows she's ever heard, even though she listens to a lot of different podcasts and is actually in the business of podcasting in a way. So uh, I just want to thank her for uh, all the support and for spreading the word. That's really the best thing you can do if you're a fan of this show. Um, you know, our, our numbers are, are pretty decent. We don't advertise or anything. So, you know, I'm pretty pleased with where they're at as far as uh, on a no advertising budget whatsoever. Um, but, you know, can always be better and, and definitely appreciate you spreading the word a little bit. Um, All right, before I get into the meat, I want to ask you guys something I'm going to talk about in a couple weeks. And basically, I'm ripping off my partner, Andy Sedlak's idea from a few weeks ago, which I thought was a great idea. He talked about on the show bands that he felt like uh, were overrated, basically, like beloved bands, critically acclaimed bands that he's listened to um, but just never really got into. He used Led Zeppelin as his big uh, answer for that. And I just felt like that's such a great topic to go across. Like all, I mean, you can use it for books, you can use it for uh, for TV shows, and you can definitely use it for film. And that's what I want to ask you guys. So next time on the show, I'm going to talk about beloved or acclaimed movies that I've you know I've watched some multiple times, but just never been a fan of. But maybe I was too afraid to say. And I wonder from you guys what movies are like that for you? Do you have a movie or two that uh, that, that everyone always talks about? Everyone loves it. You watched it. And you just didn't get it. You just didn't think it was worth all the the hype. I, I've got some good one, some good responses on this already from people I've asked, and I'm looking for your answers as well. So if you think of any, send me an email, theclintdavis at gmail dot com, t h e clintdavis at gmail dot com, and I will read it next week when I'm doing that segment. Okay, I got to start the show today by uh, laying down an obituary. Hate to start the show this way, but really. Uh, a guy that I really admire in uh, the history of film died since the last time we spoke here on the Stream Police. That would be director Wes Craven, who to me is truly one of the most creative directors in horror history and really, by extension, movie history. Um, Craven died on August 30th at the age of 76. And it was really like one of those rare celebrity deaths where when I heard it, I really sat up and realized like how bummed I was because he was still active. Uh, I mean, like I said, 76 years old. He wasn't as active as he was in the 90s or the 80s, but uh, the guy was still pretty active and still producing things and and still putting out quality work. Craven was a guy 
that made a career out of innovating within the horror genre, but he also was just like a gifted director, period. Didn't matter what genre you were talking about. Now, horror gets a lot of crap, and for good reason, because the movies, the quality varies maybe wider than any other genre. You've got masterpieces, and you've got just absolute garbage that is cranked out on a more regular basis. But Craven was a guy who really, I think, valued quality, and he was a strong director. In 1999, after 30 years of making scary movies, he made a straight drama called Music of the Heart, and it earned two Oscar nominations, including one for Meryl Streep. So Wes Craven directed one of Meryl Streep's many Oscar-nominated roles. A lot of people didn't know that. His horror films, meanwhile, were consistently respected among critics, which is impressive in horror, but perhaps more impressive is how audiences awarded his the gruesome mind that he had and the fearlessness that he had for over 40 years. Audiences kept going to his movies, and his movies made money every time. His first film, The Last House on the Left, came out in 1972, and it brutally depicted a rape revenge story where a couple of teenage girls, underage teenage girls, are kidnapped and terrorized by criminals. It included a graphic scene of a gang rape on a 17-year-old girl and also had a scene where a girl was forced to give oral sex and bites the guy's penis off. That movie earned $3 million at the box office on top of like a budget that was below $100,000. So once again, this movie earned over $3 million at the box office. It had a scene where a girl gets gang raped, a girl bites off a guy's prick. I mean, just crazy stuff happens in this movie, and it's a very like raw film if you watch it today. Um, it's not one of my all-time favorites, but I do respect it uh, for what it just the balls Craven had in making this thing and the fact that audiences actually responded to it. This movie was two years before Texas Chainsaw and six years before I Spit on Your Grave, which is a very similar movie. As I said, Wes Craven had balls as a director. In 1977, he wrote and directed a film that saw a nice family on vacation being hunted by a depraved group of cannibals after their car breaks down in the Nevada desert. It's a terrifying premise, and the movie was called The Hills Have Eyes. It showed I feel like it showed Craven's genius in creating scary premises that hit people in like a familiar place, you know, out on vacation with your family, feeling very vulnerable. But it was also so nightmarish that it could only exist on screen. I mean, this really you know, couldn't happen in real life. It earned almost $70 million at the box office atop a $230,000 budget. Craven was, he was sick. He had a sick mind. But audiences loved it. Then we go to 1984 when he created, and I'm going to underline that word, created Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger as a character has been in nine movies in 30 years and will never die. In 1994, he did New Nightmare, Craven did, which was one of the most meta movies ever made. And also, I felt like an original take on a series, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, that had really been well-worn by that time. I mean, it had been 10 years since the original, and he did something original with it. If you've never seen New Nightmare, definitely recommend checking it out. I believe it's on Netflix now. In 1996, Craven directed Scream and basically revitalized horror all on his own. It earned $173 million worldwide. It's the highest-grossing slasher movie of all time still to this day. And in fact, the top four highest-grossing slasher movies ever were either directed by or included a character created by Craven. I did not know that until I looked it up. So this guy has had a hand in really all the biggest slasher movies ever made. Craven was a genius, and he knew what audiences wanted. And finally, in 2005, he took horror 30,000 feet into the air, and he made a fantastic PG-13 rated horror thriller movie for like the post-9-11 generation. It was called Red Eye, and it had weighty acting, 
and legitimately tense moments. Rachel McAdams uh, did, uh, I thought, great work in that movie. Uh, Cillian Murphy also very creepy in that film. Plus, Red Eye felt like a Hitchcock picture in the way that it was carefully crafted. And like I said, Craven was a gifted filmmaker, great director. doesn't matter if you're talking horror, uh, any genre. I think the guy just was a gifted director and knew what audiences liked. I mean, when he put his name on something, you pretty much knew it was going to have a following and it was going to be a hit. So I respected the hell out of the man, and I just wanted to give him a fitting obit here on the Stream Police. A lot of his films are right now streaming. I know Netflix has uh, several of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but uh, you get a chance to check those out. Uh, run down his catalog and, and watch movies like The Hills Have Eyes and The Last House on the Left. It's, it's just really uh, very in-your-face films back when, when people weren't really doing that on a regular basis. And the movies were making money. It's crazy. All right, I'm going to shift gears completely here and go into the TV world and talk about a show that has just started since the last time we spoke. Well, started in a new generation, I should say. The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert is now less than five episodes into his tenure as the host of CBS's Late Show, which he's taken over from David Letterman, of course. His first week, I feel like, has been a refreshing one for one big reason. I have not seen a single GIF floating around on Twitter that came from that show. The first week mixed some politics, some entertainment. I mean, he had his guests included George Clooney, Jeb Bush, Scarlett Johansson, Elon Musk, Joe Biden, the CEO from Uber, Amy Schumer, Stephen King. I mean, that is that is a mixed bag right there, friends. And his musical guests were a mixed bag of styles. Also, he had Kendrick Lamar on, he had Toby Keith on, and Paul Simon uh, came in for uh, came in for a surprise set. Next week, I was looking at Colbert's guests for next week. He's going to have a sitting senator, a Supreme Court justice, and the Secretary of the United Nations. I mean, these are not guests that you typically see on late-night network television. Um, and, and, I mean, maybe for good reason, but I think what he's trying to do, obviously, is establish this show. He's trying to use his political ties and his reputation to bolster his show, I feel like, as perhaps a go-to destination for people who want politics and want comedy while they're in bed. Because Jon Stewart's gone now. Trevor Noah's about to take over The Daily Show. Uh, obviously, we have not seen that show yet as of recording this. Uh, but... Noah's a younger guy, and he's going to go for a different audience than Colbert would. I feel like Colbert wants to get these Jon Stewart viewers. And Stewart is an executive producer, actually, on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, so he's got a big hand in this series as well. The problem for many viewers, and perhaps for CBS, I feel like, is that his political interviews have been dry and heavy during the first week. I mean, this guy is not playing Pictionary with Hillary Clinton, and Colbert is not having a water balloon fight with Ben Carson. I mean, that's not the stuff that he's interested in doing, you can tell. He did an interview with Joe Biden, and it was one of the most heartfelt late-night TV show interviews that I can recall ever seeing. He asked Biden to talk about his recently deceased son, Bo, which led to this emotional moment that you hear right here. I'd like to offer my condolences for the loss of your son, Bo. Um, I know that he was a great man, and um, I was hoping you could tell us a story about him. The the president in his eulogy called your son Joe 2.0. In what way... Is that a compliment to you? You know, my dad had an expression. He used to say, you know your success as a parent when you turn and look at your child and realize they turned out better than you. I was a hell of a success. My son was better than me. Once again, this is late night network television, all right? And Colbert's interview with Jeb Bush on his first night was actually criticized by some for being too dry 
and two, issue-focused, as if you've ever heard a thing in your life when you're talking about an interview with a presidential candidate. Uh, The show, I feel like, is going to morph, definitely. I mean, we're only in the first week, and a show does not find its legs for at least, really, the first year of its existence. Uh, But it's clear that Colbert, I feel like, is doing, like, the grown-up, intellectual late-night show in a landscape that's dotted by early 20s-aimed humor and segments. I would think that. But then, again, I was watching on Friday when Colbert did an interview with Amy Schumer. And the chat veered into some territory that I feel like is reserved usually for Comedy Central. You know, that night, yes. you know what happened. You I do know what happened. happens. I know. You've told the story. Uh, I, you did. I took Katie Couric's mm-hmm. phone. Yeah. And I was, you know, very drunk. Right. And I... <laughs> you were happy. You were glamorous. I was glamorous. Mm-hmm. And uh, I texted her, her husband um, that she wanted to have anal that night and um yes how do we know that she didn't yes i mm-hmm. expected better from me i thought you what could have warned, i have done you could have what warned could i have done no you, what i'd say what do i say to her katie one second before you leave amy schumer used your phone and and used it to text your husband to say i want to try anal tonight yeah, yeah that actually wasn't yeah. that hard to do i could have done yeah, that actually. Right. yes not only did a guest but the host of a show on cbs their flagship late night show used the word anal in an anecdote, and it was not bleeped, and they were talking about it in connection with a respected newswoman. I, I mean, that that is that's edgy stuff for CBS. I mean, could you imagine David Letterman making that joke? I really couldn't. I think that would have been something that he would not have said on late night TV, and maybe would not have been allowed to say. So, the times are changing, as as Bobby Dylan once said. Speaking of Colbert's Late Show, I, I feel like one of the best ways to diagnose the flavor. And the, the identity of any TV show, including late-night television, is the theme song of the show. Colbert's theme song, it came on. I was looking forward to hearing it on the first night, and it's very smooth. It's cool. And it sounds to me more like an afternoon talk radio show on NPR than it does a late-night television talk show. Listen to this. Tonight... Stephen welcomes George Clooney, Governor Jeb Bush. Now let's compare it with a couple of other late night TV shows that we know the flavor of, that we know that were established. Johnny Carson's Tonight Show theme song, one of my favorites ever. It was In Your Face and Powerhouse, and you had Ed McMahon shouting over top of it. that was a theme song you could not miss. You, it, it announced itself in the room right away. Meanwhile, Letterman's was similar. It was bombastic as well, like Carson's, but it was a little more slick, thanks to that VO that Alan Coulter was doing over top. From New York, the greatest city in the world, it's the late show with David Letterman. Coulter was a little bit more smooth and cool than Ed McMahon, and I feel like Letterman was the same way compared to Carson. Not that Carson wasn't cool, but Letterman was, I mean, miles cooler than anybody that's ever been on late-night TV. Conan O'Brien, to me, maybe had the coolest theme in late-night history when he was hosting Late Night on NBC. 
In fact, it sounds like our theme song. It was like a theme song that I thought of when I thought of what I wanted this show to sound like. Here was Conan's theme song. And of course, maybe more than any of these shows, Conan's was edgy, and it was it was a cool show. I mean, it was just a it was like a comedian's it was like a comedian's comedy show. And finally, Craig Ferguson his his theme song might have been the most unique of any late night show I've ever seen. He actually sung his own theme song, and the song was as carefree and funny and light as the show itself was. The song didn't take itself seriously, and neither did its host. It's on There you go. Diagnosing late night TV shows just by listening to the theme songs. I think you can do it. And Colbert's show sounds like maybe it's going to be like the NPR of late night TV talk shows. But that does it a disservice because it's definitely been funny the first week. And uh, the guy is on point. You can tell he's just enjoying himself. And there's certainly something to be said uh, for that. We'll see how long it takes for him to get jaded with the five night a week working schedule on network TV. Um, All right, I'm going to take a break. And uh, speaking of music, we're going to toss it over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. Hear what he's got on the plate this week. Take it away, Andy. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, what's up, guys? Good to be talking to you again. The older I get, and maybe you're sort of in the same boat here, but the older I get, the more I begin to understand nostalgia. I mean, if it's done well, it can be a cool thing. It doesn't always have to be in the Jurassic World vein, which was shamelessly nostalgic for, like, the very sake of being nostalgic. No, sometimes nostalgia is a powerful thing, and sometimes it creeps in when I'm in the car. I drive a Ferrari 458. Just kidding. It's a silver Honda Civic with a broken taillight, but I do have a Sirius XM And I do enjoy listening to a channel called Pop2K. 
And I listen to it more and more. It plays hits from uh, like 2000 to 2009. In other words, from sixth grade through junior year of college. And maybe it's just that things look better the further away they are. But I'm hearing songs differently this time around. Yeah, I tend to be less critical somewhat. And, and I don't think about arrangements or production or lyrics as much. But when I hear certain songs, I think about uh, the people and places and things that mattered at the time that I first heard them. Or even some of the things that I thought maybe mattered more than they did. Now I think about hindsight and change and perspective. Um but I think ultimately it all just proves that music is subjective in nature. Because no, a song like Shake Your Tail Feather is not a strong song, but it does remind me of my freshman year of high school. Nelly, P. Diddy, and Murphy Lee are all on that track, by the way. Each generation defines nostalgia differently, of course. For example, the entire Monkees TV series will be released on Blu-ray in January. And that's not something I give a rip about, but... You know, somebody somewhere will be pumped to have 10 discs of 58 episodes of the Monkees TV show. And it will register because whether it's crap or not, that's the power of nostalgia. This week, I, I kind of urge you to go back to rediscover some of the music that was playing during like your wonder years, whether it's this. Or this. There is some power there if you haven't noticed already the past is a great place to visit just don't get stuck there is anyone still talking about the uh, uh vmas the 2015 vmas the numbers have been crunched and five million people tuned in that is down 40 percent from the year before 40 percent what happened Who didn't love the ganja-filled VMAs? (laughs) So many pot jokes. Pot? It's legal in how many states now? It's not even edgy anymore. Furthest thing from it. There were so many marijuana references during the VMAs. I'm just like, really? It seemed out of touch. Really, it's 2015. Pot is not edgy. Kanye was presented with the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. His acceptance speech lasted 12 minutes. It was proof that if you talk long enough, somebody somewhere is going to think that it was brilliant. In this case, it was David Frick over at Rolling Stone. 
Y'all might be thinking right now, I wonder, did he smoke something before he came out here? The answer is yes. I rolled up a little something. I knocked the edge off. There's one of those pot references. Miley Cyrus had a uh, 150 herself. One award, though, jumped out at me, and I want to talk about this because I thought it was uh, uncharacteristically adult of MTV. The category was Best Video with a Social Message, which actually began in 2011. Past winners uh, actually include Lady Gaga's Born This Way and uh, Macklemore's Same Love. You could argue perhaps the award was uh, never as poignant, though, as this year. And here are the songs that were nominated. One Man Can Change the World by Big Sean. That featured Kanye and John Legend. Also nominated uh, American Oxygen from Rihanna. I Still Love You from Jennifer Hudson. Try by Colby Calais. And uh, White Shoes by Wale. One Man Can Change the World won. Um, I don't know if you heard it or not, but in my opinion, it's it's actually kind of thin. Look, think about it. Close your eyes, dream about it, tell your team about it. Go make million dollar schemes about it. Success is on the way, I feel it in the distance. Used to look up at the stars and be like, ain't too much that's different. Um, I probably would have sided with Rihanna's song, but that's beside the point, really. My point is that MTV briefly uh, was able to return somewhat to its socially conscious roots. I remember the, the Rock the Vote campaigns and the breakthrough of, of progressive videos? I mean, that's really kind of what gave uh, the music video its power as a format. Without landmark videos, the, the, you know, the art of the music video was essentially reduced to like a, a glorified promotional spot. But for a fleeting moment during the VMAs, MTV distanced itself from pot jokes. Pot jokes! And address something that was somewhat real. Yes, the show was the show. Uh, It's never as wacky as it was supposed to feel. And apparently, judging by the ratings, there were a lot of other people who couldn't be bothered at all. But maybe they should try to sit up straight and be a little more present with a little more dignity and have more categories like like best video with a social me- social message. Performances could follow suit to a degree. Uh, MTV could probably stand to realize that if you want to attract the millennials, you could do it by being real. I think they're going to ignore you. Uh, if you stuff one more overblown Nicki Minaj performance down their throats. Fake feuds don't work either. This isn't the 90s anymore. Pot references and fake feuds. And there you have it. For the most part, that was your 2015 VMAs, ladies and gentlemen. You know who was at the VMAs? That Justin Bieber. He performed a song called... Uh, what do you mean? It's all right. You know, it's okay. A songwriter named Jason Boyd collaborated with Bieber on his new record. It'll be his fourth 
full-length record. It'll be out in November. But Boyd, uh, better known as Pooh Bear in music circles, Pooh Bear, recently spoke to Rolling Stone. It sounds like he got, guy got a little carried away with his comparisons. He was asked to describe the sound of the new Justin Bieber album. The dude went for broke and said, and I quote, if I had to compare it to something, not the sound of it, but the impact in the amount of songs that are undeniable, I would have to compare it to Thriller. End quote. Thriller. Pooh Bear says the new Justin Bieber record is on par with Thriller. All right. We'll see. Sounds like Bruno Mars will be playing the Super Bowl again. Not sure why Taylor Swift hasn't been lined up for that gig, but we better get ready for Uptown Funk instead. Hey, speaking of Mark Ronson, he's a totally interesting guy, and I urge you to sort of dig into his catalog. The most recent album, of course, is Uptown Special, and um, Uptown Funk gets the lion's share of attention, but there is a song on the record that features Mystical that I think is even more fun. It's called Feel Right, and it probably won't grab you in the first 30 seconds, um, but it totally sinks in over time, and the video is great, too. Feel right in this mother... Okay, here are five songs good enough to get you through the week. The first is It's Money That Matters from Randy Newman. That features Mark Knopfler on guitar. The second is Coming Back by Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. And I want to include coverage, a deep cut from David Crosby. And here is The Damage Is Done by Foreigner. And finally, and, and I urge you to just, I mean, check out as much as you can by both of these artists. The song is Are You Sure from Casey Musgraves and Willie Nelson. Look around you, look down the bar from you, at the faces that you see. Are you sure this is where you want to be? That's it, guys. Hey, thanks so much. We'll see you. All right, Andy, thank you very much, my friend. Appreciate that, as always. Always love those five songs uh, to get you through the week. And, and how about a mix this week that he's tossing at you? It's Mark Knopfler, some Randy Newman, Southside Johnny, one of my favorites, and I know one of Andy's favorites also, Foreigner, Casey Musgraves, and Willie. And then he gives a strong recommendation for Mark Ronson. The man is a clay, my partner in crime, Andy Sedlak.
All right, let's get back to talking about what's on the tube here. And uh, I actually wanted to, because right now the fall season is getting underway, I wanted to give fall TV its due because this is the big time of year when we get to see great new shows unboxed, a lot of forgettable shows as well. But this is just when the networks roll out all of their new programs that they're so proud of and a couple that they really aren't so proud of and they try to bury them in graveyard time slots. Uh, But that's harder to do these days with Hulu because everybody can find your show, even if it does suck. Uh, But I wanted to pick out 10 interesting new series that are starting this fall and give you some recommendations on those, even though I haven't seen any of these. This is just what my take is from the people that are working on it, from the previews I've seen. These shows could all suck, and I'm going to say that right now. Um, I'm not giving them like all my stamp of approval, but I'm saying these are 10 ones that I feel like are very interesting and 10 that I will be watching this fall season. All right, I'm going to do these in alphabetical order, so no particular order other than alphabetical. Let's start on the Stars Network. October 31st, so we got to wait a little bit for this one, is the premiere of Ash vs. Evil Dead. This show is going to be 10 episodes picking up 30 years after Army of Darkness in the Evil Dead series. If you've never seen any of the Evil Dead movies, there's three of them. They all star Bruce Campbell, um, director, writer Sam Raimi of Spider-Man is uh, the guy behind these. And they're just so funny, so original, just really cool movies. There's no horror movies really like them in their time. Um, and Sam Raimi is actually involved in this, and Bruce Campbell is starring in it. And Lucy Lawless of Xena Warrior Princess fame is co-starring in the series as well. And like I said, it's going to be 10 episodes picking up 30 years after the last Evil Dead movie. And it's just one of those series that I think will lend, its well, lend itself well to television. It starts fittingly on Halloween night on Stars, uh, So that'll definitely be one worth checking out if you got stars. Another one uh, that, that is going to have some blood spilled in it premieres September 15th on FX. This show's called The Bastard Executioner, and it's the new series from former S.H.I.E.L.D. writer and Sons of Anarchy creator Kurt Sutter. Sutter is one of, I feel like, the few people who really can be, can be considered a TV auteur, if I can bust that term out for you. I mean, he's a guy, people will watch the show just because his name is attached to it. And there are very few guys that can do that in television, very few showrunners who have name recognition with fans. Um, Bastard Executioner stars a few unknown actors at the top, but it's also got Sutter's wife, uh, Katie Siegel, who was in uh, Married with Children and who was in Sons of Anarchy. And it's also got True Blood's Stephen Moyer, who did a good job as Bill in that show. He was always watchable, very watchable in that show and, and really probably the, the best actor on the series. Um, it, it's going to be bloody. And the show is going to be full of self-destructive behavior in drab period clothes. People have kind of called it Sons of Anarchy in period clothes, uh, which, you know, if you were a fan of that series, I can't say that I really was because I never got into it. Um, but if you were a fan of that series, then I have to imagine you're going to love The Bastard Executioner. And it's going to have a ton, ton of violence and heads rolling literally uh, in the show. That premieres September 15th on FX. On September 30th on CBS, we got a show called Code Black hitting the airwaves. I thought this one sounded interesting because we need another good medical drama, I feel like, on TV. It's been a while since we had one that was really, really good. I'm not counting Grey's Anatomy in the really good medical drama department. I'm talking about like St. Elsewhere, ER. Um, This show maybe has the chance to pick up that mantle. And I feel like the premium, for whatever reason, the premium networks, HBO, AMC, um, FX, they're not doing medical dramas for whatever reason. They just have refused to venture into that world other than Nurse Jackie, which was more of like a comedy drama. And it was a character study, not really about the medical world so much 
as these other shows I mentioned. And again, I have no idea if Code Black is going to be good, as CBS tends to go for maximum sweep television. But this, to me, looks more like Good Wife CBS than NCIS CBS, from what I've seen of it. It's based on a documentary, and it revolves around a Los Angeles emergency room that's understaffed and overworked. So going to be a lot of tension there, a lot of intensity. Marsha Gay Harden is the star. She brings some weight to the cast. And the show was created by the guy who directed North Country with Charlize Theron, very political movie back in its day. Michael Seitzman is his name. So Code Black, September 30th on CBS. Another one I'm really interested in that is coming on the Stars Network again, November 8th, is called Flesh and Bone. And this one is a miniseries, eight episodes. It comes from a writer and producer who worked on Breaking Bad. She's the woman that wrote seasons five, season five's Ozymandias, which is uh, a lot of people consider one of the best episodes in television history and uh, arguably the best episode of that entire series. Basically, she wrote that episode, and that got her the ability to be able to create an entire series. I mean, that speaks to the power of that episode and how much people believed in it. Um, she created this eight-episode miniseries drama called Flesh and Bone that is about the intense world of professional ballet. So if you liked, Doug, uh, if you, if you liked Black Swan, which I did, I think a lot of people really did, um, this show looks to be like a good extended look at the same world that Black Swan existed in. Uh, the cast is mostly unknown, but it is made up of a few world-class ballerinas slash actresses who are going to be starring in it. So it'll lend itself to some realism uh, as well. It should have some nice visuals in it, too. So Flesh and Bone starts its eight-episode run November 8th on Stars. Put it on the calendar. A uh, show on Amazon that is now available called Hand of God is another one that I want to mention. This show uh, stars the always watchable Ron Perlman. It's a dark drama, pitch black, in fact, from what I've seen, about a questionable judge who comes to believe that God is speaking to him after his son tries to commit suicide. Um, and it leaves the son on life support. So the son can't speak, but this this judge father feels like, God is speaking to him through his son, and he goes and does all this just dark stuff, getting back at the people that led to his son's uh, downfall. The show's been ripped a little bit by some critics for being unnecessarily dark with no redeeming qualities, but its cast is strong, and the premise, I feel like, is interesting enough to give it a shot. Plus, it's streaming on Amazon. You know, you can just watch the whole series right in, in one day, basically. And, uh, you know, decide later if you like it or not or quit anytime you want to. No real commitment. That one is right now on Amazon. It's called Hand of God. Another one on CBS. This one starts September 21st called Life in Pieces. And this one I was interested in. After really digging a little bit more into it, it's going to be a half-hour multi-generational ensemble family series that sounds like Modern Family, of course. And the the producer uh, of the series, the creator of the series, is the guy that produced Samantha Who and Better Off Ted, two short-run but very beloved TV series of the last five years. Uh, think Modern Family, but without the documentary style, basically, on this show called Life in Pieces. Each episode is going to show an event from each family member's perspective, so across all the generations. And the cast of this is really its strong point. It includes two-time Oscar winner Diane Weist, uh, James Brolin is at the top as well, and Colin Hanks, who did great work, great work, on FX last year, and he did strong work on Dexter before that, so I'm, I'm really buying into Colin Hanks also. Uh, starting November 6th on Netflix, a series uh, comedy that really I, I think 
has the potential to be very good, a show called Master of None. This is a new half-hour series from comedian Aziz Ansari, who uh, co-starred in Parks and Recreation and just does a great job in that show. He's just consistently the funniest guy on the series. Uh, it looks to be his turn. This is like Aziz Ansari's turn at doing the loosely fictional version of himself in a situation show. I mean, every comic does it at some point. Jerry Seinfeld, Louis C.K., uh, some better than others, those two great examples. Uh, but this is Aziz Ansari's turn to do this. This show is co-created by Alan Yang, who did write a couple of the funniest episodes of Parks and Recreation, including the Sister Cities episode, uh, Boys Club, and the Pawnee Rangers episode as well, uh, on top of a lot of other ones. So I think that one's got a lot of potential, and it's going to be on Netflix. So uh, the chain will be off, obviously, and it, it should be a quick watch, I would imagine. That one premieres November 6th on Netflix. It's called Master of None. All right, coming September 16th on Comedy Central, an animated show called Moonbeam City, starring Rob Lowe, Elizabeth Banks, Kate Mara, and Will Forte. These uh, actors all voice characters in a show that looks gorgeous, and it's a cop comedy. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, of Archer in its tone from what I, I've been able to see of it, uh, maybe a little bit more absurdist. It takes place in the 1980s, and it features all these neon colors that we're seeing like in Miami Vice and in the movie Drive. And Lowe stars as a moronic but handsome detective named Dazzle Novak, who apparently commits more crimes than he stops, according to everything I've read about the show. So that one, it should be funny. I mean, Rob Lowe, he's always easy to lean on. The guy does not miss, has not missed too too awful often in his career, and he's very good at doing comedy. Uh, another show that's uh, starting on ABC September 27th that I'm interested in is a show called Quantico. This show looks to me like one of my favorites from last season, How to Get Away with Murder. And I have no qualms with that at all, that it looks a lot like that show. It's got a sexy young ensemble cast of FBI trainees in Quantico at the FBI training grounds. But one of them, the big twist here, is that one of them was responsible for a deadly terrorist attack. And we don't know who it is. And we're going to find out, obviously, at some point as the investigation gets underway. Um, we're going to suspect everyone at some point, I'm sure. I don't know how long the legs of this show are going to be, and it is missing a powerhouse lead actress or actor like uh, How to Get Away with Murder has Viola Davis at the top. But it should be an interesting season. And again, that show is called Quantico on September 27th on ABC is when it premieres. I'll be watching that one. And finally, in 10 interesting new shows that are starting this fall, I've got one on Fox for you that uh, starts on September 22nd. This show just looks like a lot of the campy fun and it is called scream queens as i said it looks like a campy bloody show created by uh, ryan murphy the guy behind american horror story on fx and it looks to follow the show american horror stories single season story format so like each season will be its own story uh with its own cast of characters but it's got more laughs, I feel like, than that show uh, has. The, the first season of this series, Scream, Scream Queens, is set in a sorority house where a character is going to be murdered each episode, according to the promotional stuff I've read about it, leading inevitably to some shocking killer reveal in the final episode. The ensemble of this, uh, of this show, which it does have a very large ensemble, includes uh, Emma Roberts, who's done great work on American Horror Story. It's also got Jamie Lee Curtis. The, the true scream queen herself, and Oscar nominee Abigail Breslin, uh, grown up in this show as well. Scream Queen starts September 22nd on Fox. I just think it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, and uh, those are 10 new shows that are starting up soon that I'm looking forward to. I did want to mention real quick a couple dates of series that are coming back that I loved last season. 
that are going to be back for this year. On September 21st on Fox, Gotham kicks off its second season. Uh, the show is going to be on Netflix on September 21st, so you can rip through the first season pretty quickly. Good show, whether you like Batman or not. Uh, if you like Batman, though, I think you'll really dig it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's it's a cool take um, on uh, on the world of Batman. Uh, it's like a police procedural, but set in Gotham City. Uh, American Horror Story Hotel is going to start on October 7th on FX. That one should be a lot of fun. Lady Gaga joins the cast for this uh, series. Fargo starts on FX on October 12th. That was, as I said last week, the best show on television last year, the best new show and I cannot wait for season two, see if it, uh, it carries on the quality of its first season, which was perfect in every way. September 27th on Fox, the second season of Last Man on Earth kicks off. That was my favorite comedy of last year. Surprised me at every turn and was just so funny, so fresh, and very well done. All the actors just really showing up, um, and I really enjoyed Last Man on Earth. Looking forward to seeing who they introduce next. Uh, on that series. Had to get away with murder, as I mentioned before. That one starts September 24th on ABC. This show is just juicy, like, you know, sexy, fun, um, and, and a bit campy, bit over the top, but just a cool show. And it's got great acting. Viola Davis does really strong work. I'm hoping that she wins an Emmy uh, coming up here at the Emmys uh, by the next time we speak. And finally, South Park starts up a new season on September 16th on Comedy Central. And you really cannot lose with South Park ever. Can't wait to see what they tackle this season. All right, that's going to do it for the Stream Police podcast this week. Definitely appreciate you tuning in. And uh, I want to give a shout-out again to uh, remind you to go over to iTunes, subscribe to the series, and if you've enjoyed the show, uh, give us a rating on there. Give us a little uh, five-star review and write a little review of it um, on uh, on iTunes as well, and everyone will see that when they go to search for the Stream Police podcast. And I'll urge you again to go over to the website, overduereview.com, to read long-form takes on TV, movies, and uh, and music from all eras. Uh, all right, so uh, thank you guys very much for tuning in. Once again, Clint Davis, Movies and TV Editor at OverdueReview.com, signing off. Thanks to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. And I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. The Stream Police Podcast is a production of OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written thoughtful, unpretentious opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and music from every era. Overdue Review, better late. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.